This is the Legacy United Methodist Podcast. Welcome to worship this morning. I'm Pastor Corey. I'm a pilgrim, and I, I guess I'm be on staff here August 1st. So I'm happy to, to be here. Yay! So I'll be here next week, too, and the tomatoes will be in the back, okay, for you to throw. It is 4th July weekend, and many of you have traditions, 4th July traditions that go for camping, eating certain things, playing games, and I have up here uh, a lawn game known, known as cornhole. How many of you played cornhole before? Most of you have. You know the, you know the rules. And, and so um, I'm going to... I'm going to have a couple volunteers. You? Yes, you. Yes. All right, you too. Come on up. Yep. Oh, okay. That'll work, yeah. All right, sorry, bud. Yeah, let's, if you, you give up your spot right there. Come on, yes. Come on up. You're like, hand up and then like, me. okay, come on up. All right, I want you right here. Over here, please. I want you to stand right over here. All right. So, what I have, what is your, what is your throwing hand? What, you throw with this hand? Okay. Hold this in this hand. Hold this rock in your other hand. Got it? <laughs> All right. What's your dominant hand? You're ambidextrous. So that's not fair. What's your dominant hand? All right. Mr. Baseball player. Hold on to that one. All right, so what is the goal of cornhole? Okay, so the way this works is I ask questions, and then you respond, all right? What is the goal of cornhole? The beanbag in the hole, exactly. Now, we're going to use this to help define a story that I'm going to tell you, okay? There's some things that you need to know about this story, and this is going to help us understand the story better. Okay, so, can you throw the beanbag into the hole? Give it a shot. Just give it a chuck. Nice try. All right. Have at it. Oh, that was close. All right. Oh, wait. Just hold on. Just hold on. All right. Now, getting it in the hole is the goal, right? So getting it in the hole, getting the beanbag in the hole, is doing God's will. Now, I get asked all the time, Pastor, I just want to know what God's will is. I want to do God's will. What is God's will? God's will is simple. Love the Lord God with all that you have. What? Yes. Well, Okay, you're going to correct me. Great. Then you say the verse. If you're going to correct me, then say the verse. Love the Lord God with all of your heart, mind, in other words, with everything you have, all right? Love the Lord your God with everything you have and love your neighbor, right? That is God's will. So if God's will is getting it in the hole, right, that's God's will. So what happens when we miss that mark? It's sin, exactly. That's the definition of sin. That is the actual definition of sin, is missing the mark. And the mark being God's will. All right, so let's try this again. 
Go for the hole. Go for it. Oh, that was so close, but you sinned. I'm sorry. Okay, now throw your rocket. Throw your rock. Okay, throw the beanbag then. Oh, so close. I'm sorry you sinned. Okay, throw your rock. No, I'm just joking. Don't do it. You're looking at me like, do I really throw the rock? No, thank you. All right. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. You look at me like, really? All right, you need to understand what sin is in order to understand. So I'm going to show you a picture of the story we're going to talk about. And the story is the story of Jesus teaching at the temple and a group of leaders, religious leaders, bring to them a woman caught in adultery. Okay, so let's read the story. This is found in John 8, starting with verse 1. And Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He returned to the temple. All the people gathered around him, and he sat down and taught them. The legal experts and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, placing her in the center of the group. They said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law of Moses, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone women like this. What do you say? They said this to test him because they wanted a reason to bring an accusation against him. Jesus bent down and wrote on the ground with his finger. They continued to question him. So he stood up and replied, whoever hasn't sinned should throw the first stone. Bending down again, he wrote on the ground. Those who heard him went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. Finally, only Jesus and the woman were left in the middle of the crowd. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where, where are they? Is there no one to condemn you? He said, No one, sir. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, don't sin anymore. It was a beautiful day, and so I decided to walk down to the market. The market is next to the temple. Uh, there's temple. There's steps going up in the temple entrance, but next to it, there are stalls that sell food and wine and everything a person might need. So I thought I would head that way. On my way to the market, I saw people gathering by the entrance of the temple. So I walked up to see what was going on. There was a small crowd gathered and Jesus, this man that I had heard about, was teaching. And everyone was listening, so I decided to join in. I sat down and became absorbed in what Jesus was teaching. But then there was an interruption. A group of angry-looking men came up, toting with them a woman who was crying. She looked in distress. 
They threw the woman down in front of Jesus, disrupting what Jesus was saying, disrupting our listening, disrupting our listening. And they began to point and yell to Jesus about how this woman was caught in adultery and asking him what they should do. As I sat and watched this take place, I looked at the woman who'd been accused, and I knew her. We grew up together. We were the same age, and I knew what had happened. I knew of her love. And I looked in the faces of those who had brought her to Jesus. Those people who were leaders of our synagogue and who were neighbors to me and my family. I knew each of them. And as they continued to point and yell and demand the death of this woman, I recounted in my mind all the things that I had seen them do. That I had seen them do. Serving of judgment, and maybe of the same conclusion. And yet they carried on as if they had never sinned. They continued on as if they were the righteous ones, holding their stones, ready to throw them. And then I became scared. I looked at my neighbor next to me. I looked to my other neighbor, and I began to look down at the ground and start to hide because what if those leaders pointed at me? What if those leaders remembered what I had done and start to pick up stones and point at me? I became terrified. Because God knows what I've done. And there's no way he can forgive me. But Jesus, I snuck a glance at him, the teacher, to see what he would do. And he was riding in the ground as if none of this was taking place, as if there wasn't a big deal going on, as if there wasn't a woman crying, there wasn't a bunch of people cowering. And nobody yelling and pointing, Jesus was calm, and he was writing in the sand. I couldn't see what he was writing. But he stood up, and he looked straight in the eyes of those religious leaders, those people who I knew, and he calmly said, those of you who haven't sinned, ask the first stone. That I did not expect. You see, those leaders, I watched them one by one, starting with the old ones, the ones that had lived a long life, who I knew weren't saints, and they dropped their stones and began to leave, one at a time. And the younger ones, the ones who were zealous, the ones who were very excited for the faith, who are very self-righteous, they left last, but each one left. 
The crowd was still there. The ones who were listening to him teach were still there, riveted by what was happening in front of them. All that was left was Jesus and the woman who was now just whimpering. And Jesus the whole time was writing in the sand as if none of this was happening. He looked up as if to say, oh, okay, this is still happening. And he said, he asked the woman, where's everybody gone? Where are your accusers? And the woman shyly said, well, they've all gone. There's no one here to condemn you, Jesus says. So I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. The sheer audacity of Jesus is amazing. If he knew what I have done, the failures I have, I have suffered, the things, the sins that I have done, there's no way he could say that to me. No way. But he was to say that to a woman caught in adultery. Maybe he would say that to me. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe there is no failure. Maybe there is no sin great enough to overcome God's grace, to overcome God's forgiveness, to overcome God's love. I went home that day with those thoughts in my mind, with a renewed vigor. That, but when I walked into that teaching, I thought God hated me because of what I had done. I left there thinking that God loves me because of his great grace. I'm going to step out of that story. Friends, there is no sin greater than God's grace. If you are in here this morning thinking to yourself, holding on to something, thinking that God cannot forgive you of that, you are wrong. You are flat out wrong. We all know people, as I do, who you invite them to church or you invite them to go to a function that's happening at the church and they say, no, I have to get my life in order or I, God will not forgive me. God hates me. I've heard people say that. God hates me. And that is untrue. That is a lie. There is no failure, no sin that is greater than God's grace and compassion for your life. Now, Jesus continued on. Neither do I condemn you, but then he said something very important. He said, now go sin no more. You see, it's not, it's not a ticket to continue sinning. Jesus didn't say, well, I don't condemn you either. Have fun adultering. <laughs> he didn't say that. 
You see, as two people who are in a relationship, who grow in relationship, whether it's a marriage relationship or a friendship or siblings or parents and a child, those two that are in that relationship can't help but rub off on each other. They continue to grow. They continue to change. I mean, look at Becky. When we were first married, she was a Dallas Cowboys fan. (laughs) So you continue to grow and change and rub off on each other the more time you spend with each other. And so the more time you spend with God, the more time that relationship grows and you fail, is you're going to fail. I've been a pastor for 27 years. Oh, I failed. (laughs) I sin. I sin. Still do. I still do. But God, every time, I, every time I fail, every time I stumble, every time I trip, I say, God, forgive me. He picks me up. He dusts me off. He says, I don't condemn you. Keep going. There is no failure, no sin greater than God's grace. He made this possible because of what we're going to celebrate this morning. We're going to celebrate communion this morning. And those of you who are watching online, I invite you now to get your elements, uh, if just whatever you have around the house will do just fine if you wish to participate. And that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection gave us the power over sin. Sin no longer reigns within us. God's grace does. The Holy Spirit within us reigns over sin. It no longer has a hold on us. Will we still be wooed or called? Will we fail? Will we fall? Will we sin? Yes. But when we do, we have a loving, forgiving God that picks us up, dusts us off, helps us to continue down the path. Amen? Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took his disciples to the upper room. And in this room where they were going to share a meal together, there was no servant there to wash their feet. It was customary to have a servant to wash the feet of the weary travelers before they eat, but there wasn't one. So when they got up to the upper room, Jesus took off his outer cloak. His outer cloak identified him as rabbi, as teacher, as someone important. But he stripped it off and he tied around his waist, changing, transforming the way he looked from teacher to a servant. He had the disciples sit down, and one at a time, he washed their feet. They didn't like this, but Jesus did it anyway. And after he was done, he stood up, still looking like a servant. He stood up and he said, you know how those in power lord it over how they see power. They want control. But I have just shown you how God defines true power by serving one another. And then he invited them around the table and they reclined and Jesus took a loaf of bread and he held it up. He broke it. And he said, every time you break bread together, every time you break bread together, every time you break bread together, not just twice a month on Sunday, Every time you break bread together, remember my body broken for you. 
Then he held up a cup full of red wine, red liquid. And he said, every time you drink of this cup, remember my blood spilt for the forgiveness of your sin. In a moment, I'm going to pray and invite you to one of these two stations. But before I do that, I need to give you a couple of instructions. The first is this. The table that is set up here is the Lord's table. It is not Legacy's table. It's not a Methodist table, United Methodist table. It is the Lord's table, and all are welcome at it. The second is this. This is your time with God. This is your time with God. Use it as you see fit. There are kneeling pads here at the altar. If you wish to stand in the corner, if you wish to lay on the floor, if you wish to sit up on the front, uh, you can. Feel free to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may you fill this place with your presence. May you fill our hearts with your grace and your love as we worship you. Lord, bless this community. We ask in your name.